Jesus brings healing, liberty, and sight to all who repent and believe the gospel. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. All right, folks, uh, we are going back now into the sermon series that we were had started last fall. Uh, we went through November with it, and then we took our, our break for the Christmas season, for the uh, Christmas season messages. And so we are moving back into our series then now, which is all about the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are calling this series Unique. And so just a little reminder of what where we were to kind of bring us back into the flow of things for here today. Unique is all about a, a, an utterly unique person, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one like him. And, uh, and he, is, he is the reason why we are here this morning or online joining us here. He is the reason uh, for that. Um, his life, then, is, is the single most important life ever lived in this world. So we say Jesus Christ is unique. He is the most significant person to ever live. His life, his death, and his resurrection were the most important events in human history, and those events have changed the lives and eternal destinies of countless people throughout the ages. And this is a multi-sectional series. We're going to be in this for a while. We're going to take little breaks here. It's going to take a while to go through all the Gospels about, about the life and ministry of Jesus. So we're going to take little breaks here and there. So it's a multi-sectional series, and we're taking a harmony of the Gospels approach. If you're not familiar with that term, a harmony of the Gospels, that is where you take all of like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you kind of you put it together to get the whole message there about the life of Christ there. So we'll be doing that, then taking that approach then as we examine his life, his death, and his resurrection. And the most important thing then for us to know is that he is worthy. He is worthy of our all. He is worthy of our time, our affections, our hearts, our everything. He is worthy of all. And he continues then, just as he changed people's lives back then, he continues changing lives today, and he is going to transform us for his glory then. So looking at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we started with his eternal existence, that he is the eternal son of God. That he, he didn't come into this world, his existence didn't begin 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. Uh, he, has been, he has always been. He is the eternal Son of God, and he is the creator of all, the creator of all that was made. We saw that his ministry didn't begin when he came into the world uh, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. He had ministered to people, ministered to God's people long, long before then, during the Old Testament era. I believe he is when we see references to the the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. I believe that is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is ministering to people even then. Uh, We saw his birth in Bethlehem, the flight into Egypt, his childhood in Nazareth. And then when he was about 30 years of age, Luke tells us, he began that public ministry. He was baptized by John the Baptist. Not that Jesus needed to be baptized for anything, uh, for sin. He didn't have sin, but he did that because he is our representative. He was standing in for us, and as we need to be baptized into him, he was baptized for us as well. We saw the account of his temptation in the wilderness, 
how uh, the devil threw everything he had at him. Uh, but Jesus came back with the truth of God's word. Uh, and by the way, that wasn't the only time Jesus was tempted, was it? That was just one account there. But he never sinned. He never gave in to that temptation. And he gives you and me that gift. You know, when we believe in him, that perfect righteousness, that perfect obedience, that's given to you and me by faith when we believe. The calling of the first disciples, the first miracle of water into wine, his encounter with Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then the Samaritan woman at the well, when Jesus uh, gave her that message of living water that she could have then by faith in him. So that is where we were to kind of bring us back up to speed. Uh, Wanted to know too, before we look at our text here today, I want to make a recommendation to you. Um, I uh, found something that this is such a wonderful resource as kind of a, a harmony of the Gospels here. It's a book called One Perfect Life, The Complete Story of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by John MacArthur. And MacArthur has done a masterful job, I think, in this book of combining the various gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, and even some other passages in Scripture, like the prophecies in the Old Testament and other places. He has brought that all together into one continuous story in chronological order of the life of Jesus. So I think you'll, you'll you'd really like that and benefit from that. So I am going to be using this text for the events and teachings which are covered in more than one gospel. So rather than looking at this gospel, like what Matthew says here, what Mark says here, and, and trying to put that all together, he has done a masterful job of putting it together as one continuous story, drawing from all of those things. So we will do that. Uh, there will also be those certain events that are only covered in one gospel. So it will just be a, a straightforward text right from that gospel. In fact, we'll see that today. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is a combination, a harmony. And then our second passage we look at is straight out of the gospel of Luke there. So, uh, so for that, so we're going to be relying on this. If you'd like to pick up a copy... Don't go to, am I going to get in trouble for saying this, Renee, you think here? So there's, there's, a, there's a really big bookseller online that has everything from A to Z. You know, it's, it's, like, the, it's like the Amazon River of, of, of tributaries of everything you go there. Look at that. For some reason, that was like $61 or something like that they wanted for this book. He's like, what is that all about? So... You might want to avoid the tributary company, you know, for that, and, uh, and go to christianbook.com where they have it there for like $21 or something like that if you're interested in that. You can get that there then. Um, so he uses, his preferred text is the New King James Version. Uh, so we're going to use that. We're just going to kind of stick with that through this series here then. And you'll notice the New King James Version reads an awful lot like the ESV. Same translation philosophy and that, and you'll see. So it's it's not like, you know, how the old 1611 King James can get a little confusing here. It, it isn't that. Uh, so that's what we're going to do then. So I would recommend that to you then. Okay, can we, uh, by way of introduction then... Here we go then. So for today then, Unique, we're in section four, which here is, this is the first year of Jesus' earthly ministry, the things that we're looking at here now. So we're in part three of this first year of Jesus' earthly ministry. And our theme here today is belief and unbelief. What does it mean to believe? And how does unbelief show itself in various ways in our lives? We're going to see examples of that 
in the text here then today. We'll be drawing from Mark 1 and Luke 4 and John 4 as well. You have your references up there. But here is the key idea, the big idea, the main idea, the theme that I want us to take away from it here today is that Jesus brings healing, liberty, and sight. Healing, liberty, freedom, and sight, spiritual understanding to all who repent and believe the gospel. Uh, Before we look at our text here, a little context, Uh, this is, of course, very early in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus has been in Jerusalem where he attended the Passover feast. Uh, We believe he attended three Passover feasts in Jerusalem during his earthly ministry. And so he had gone to that first one there. He had cleansed uh, the temple of the money changers. He had performed some miracles. There was some uh, interest and excitement about him. Uh, But now he is returning back. He is returning north to Galilee. As you know, he was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth of Galilee. That was his hometown there then. Uh, So with that then, and again, here is our text then. This is from that book, One Perfect Life, which harmonizes these accounts from Mark 1, Luke 4, and John 4 to put them together into one flowing uh, uh, message here for us. So we're told then this, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down And heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. And so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household This, again, is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So here then today on this theme of belief and unbelief, we first see Jesus preaching and teaching the gospel. What is the gospel? We've heard that term many times. I think many of you know the gospel simply means good news, right? It is good news. Well, good news about what? (laughs) The good news about what God has done about the bad news. 
Of course, the bad news is, I don't know if you have noticed this. Have you noticed there's something wrong in the world? You know, that there's something wrong with actually, uh, there's something wrong with your husband, right? Uh, There's something wrong with your wife. There's something wrong with your kids. There's something wrong with your neighbor. There's something wrong with your coworker. There's something wrong with you. And there is something wrong with me, right? What is wrong with the world? Me. I'm what's wrong with the world. You know, all of us are what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with the world is our hearts and what is in our hearts. And what is in our hearts is that sinful uh, nature which rebels against God's word and God's truth. And so, and the bad news, that's the bad news, is that sinful heart that we all have. And then the judgment of God upon that, that righteous judgment of God, that's the bad news. But the good news is, is God has overcome all of that in Christ, that he has come to take the judgment for sin upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. But he has also then come to make us new, to give us new hearts and new capacities. And one day then we will experience in its fullness, we receive that gift of forgiveness and righteousness, goodness by faith in him, by faith in Christ. And one day, and we experience that in part right now, but one day very soon that we will experience that in its fullness, in his presence, with a resurrected, glorified body. That is the gospel, the good news. And so Jesus is preaching this gospel, this good news. We're told the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom is the domain over which a king rules, right? So Jesus is the king. What is the kingdom of God? Over what does he rule? Everything, right? So what is the kingdom of God? Well, it means different things depending on the context of it. It means different things in Scripture. In one sense, the kingdom of God is everything. The entire created order is the kingdom of God. There isn't one square inch in the entire universe that he does not rule over. He is the king. But in another sense, the kingdom of God, though, is the rule of God in our hearts and minds as believers. It's, what, it's, it's, it's God's truth and aligning ourselves with God's truth and God's law and God's grace. That's the kingdom of God. There's another sense in which it is, and, and there's some theological debate about this. We won't go into all of that here this morning. Various believers have some different ideas about it. But it is this idea of, of Christ actually ruling physically on the earth, which I believe is going to happen in, in the future here, in what we call the millennial kingdom. Some see that as a figurative rule. Well, that's okay. We won't debate that here today. But here is what's absolutely sure, is when we get to Revelation 21, Revelation 22, Jesus Christ will, in fact, rule over a new earth, won't he? And we will rule and reign with him then. So those are some of the senses of the the kingdom of God. And so he's preaching and teaching this good news about the kingdom of God. And he was becoming well-known for what he was saying, what he was doing, some of these miracles he was performing. News of him was spreading throughout the region. He was a sensation. Everybody wanted it. See, they didn't have Netflix back then. So what'd you do? You went and heard the the latest itinerant preacher, right? And so he was a sensation, not only for what he was saying, but for what he was doing, his miraculous works. 
So, of course, everyone would hear him, everyone would see these miracles, and they would believe, right? No. Just because you're popular and people want to hear you, and maybe they're impressed by what they see you're doing, that doesn't necessarily mean they really believed, meaning what? That they were receiving him and putting their trust in him, that they were turning, repenting, which repent means a change of mind that results in a change of action in our lives. They weren't repenting. They were just going to see the show. That's not belief, right? So he was quite popular. Now, this doesn't mean that, that no one believed. There were people that, that were genuinely believing in him. But a lot of people wanted to go and see the show. You think that ever happens on a Sunday morning in churches sometimes? People are going for the show. Well, here's what was happening here. And Jesus knew this. Now, the Galileans received him. That is, they wanted to see him. They wanted to hear him. And no doubt, some of them believed, truly believed in him. But many of them didn't. So they were watching him. They were listening to him. They were even honoring him. But they didn't truly believe in him. How do you know that? Well, because of what Jesus says <laughs> to them about this people, what, are always looking for a sign or wonder. They didn't truly believe. Well, here then comes this man who, who did have a faith of a sort, this nobleman. Jesus comes to Cana of Galilee where he had t- turned the water into wine. Now, what do we say? What is this nobleman? It means he was some kind of ruling official, Quite possibly, maybe someone in King Herod's court. King Herod, the king of the Jews, remember, right? So quite possibly then, someone, an official in King Herod's court. And his son is sick. Very sick. Sick to the point of death. Parents, would you do anything for your child to be healed? So here is this nobleman. It's like, I'm going to go to Jesus. I've heard about him. I've seen the things he can do. So he had, he believed. He had a a belief of a sort that Jesus could heal his son. But Jesus was going to do much more than that than just heal his son, as we'll see. So he goes and he implores Jesus, come, come, come to Capernaum and, and, and heal my son. And Jesus' response to this man might surprise us a little bit. You think, how would you respond? You know, you think like, oh, absolutely, right away, of course, I want to heal your son. But Jesus says something, it's like, wait a minute, why did he say that? What did he say? He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. He saw the man's heart, that the man had not truly repented and believed. He believed Jesus could heal his son. That's why he came to him. But he knew there was still a, the man still had a heart problem. And, so Jesus, and of course, Jesus being God, he knew what was in people's hearts, didn't he? So he said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. You might think, well, that's a little harsh, Jesus. No, it was compassion to reveal the truth to him wasn't it? 
But the man continues to plead with Jesus, so Jesus tells him, go your way, your son lives. Did Jesus need to go to Capernaum to heal? No, he could what? Just simply say the word and it would be right there where he was in Cana, many miles away. He said the word and it was so. So the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him. He went on his way and he was on his way. His servants were coming from Capernaum and they met him and they told him, hey, your son lives. So he says, well, when did he get better? And guess what? It was exactly the hour that Jesus had told him, your son lives. But here is what's important for us. Now, that's, that's wonderful, right? That his son was healed. But what's so critical is what the text tells us right after that, where it says then, he believed and his whole household along with him. See, he believed Jesus could heal, but he didn't believe in Jesus. Well, now he had believed his son was healed, and now he believed in Jesus, he and his whole household. There's that true faith, true belief, that healing of a heart condition. You know, as I read this account, I was reminded of something. Do you think that, um, you know, that's great that Jesus healed him back then, but, you know, that was thousands of years ago that Jesus doesn't heal anymore. He doesn't do anything like that today. He doesn't do miracles today, right? No, that's wrong. I tell you, because I've seen some things that, that Jesus does. And as I read this account here, I'm reminded, actually, so let me give you an example of a miracle that Jesus did. This was probably six or seven years ago now, maybe, I think. Uh, many of you know I, I serve as the chaplain with the Wonder Lake Fire Department. And you see a lot of hard stuff in that, a lot of sad, tragic situations. And there was one uh, instance where um, there was a baby you know, the ones with the kids are the hardest ones. And this one was a baby, probably about, I don't know, maybe eight months old. And the baby stopped breathing. And uh, we were there, and we were doing everything we could. And we normally, like for an older person, we would stay on the scene and try to work with them a little bit longer. But this, we just took the baby, put him in the ambulance, and rushed to the hospital as quickly as we could. And by human appearances, the baby was dead. Um, but they, were t- they took him to the hospital anyway. And we was in, I was in this living room with the parents and a, a grandmother, uh, a police officer, our fire chief, and we're standing there in the living room, and the mother said, can you pray? I said, sure, absolutely. You know, that, that, that's one of the things that, that it's, is a privilege to be able to do. Uh, as a chaplain, you kind of walk a fine line sometimes, you know, with that, when you're there with people. Um, but they requested it. 
Well, I, I pray anyway, whether people know about it or not. But <laughs> I'm always doing that, okay? But they don't always know about it. But when they know it, they want it. Absolutely, right? So here we are in this living room with the parents, the grandmother, police officer, and the chief, and we're standing in a circle in this living room. And everyone bowed their heads, and we prayed. I prayed for this baby. Well, um, we got news a little bit later from the, that the baby was okay. It was at the hospital. was fine. was okay. That the chief talked with the paramedics in the ambulance at the time, and they said that basically the baby was dead. And just all of a sudden, like that, he started breathing again, and he was fine. And they said, we've never seen anything like this before. And so the chief then asked, and the reason, the chief asked, what time was that? You know, like with the, the record log with that. Guess when, guess when that happened? Right at that very moment we were praying. That really impacted our chief's life. We've had a lot of conversations since then. He still works today, doesn't he? So here is a man, this nobleman who had a questionable faith, I guess, if you will. But then he had a, a budding or a growing faith when he responded to what Jesus did. So there's a belief, but we're also thought, looking at unbelief here today. We move on now to a rather surprising account of unbelief. In fact, hostile, wrath-filled <laughs> rejection of Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth. I told you before, I, I've uh, had the, uh, the privilege of visiting Israel a few years back then, and, uh, and it, really is, it really is a powerful, life-changing experience. And you don't read your Bible the same way. And, that, and as you read these things, you're seeing these places in your mind and, and, and things that, that maybe just seem like incidental details are like, oh, yeah, that's right. That is that way. And, and, and uh, there was a, a story, an event in the life of Jesus that we're about to read about that always struck me as kind of odd and didn't make much sense. But now that I've been there, it's like, oh, yeah, now I see, I, I get this. I see what this is all about. When I thought of Nazareth, I always kind of pictured this sleepy little town on the, on the plains of Galilee, right? But no, it isn't. Gal, the, the Nazareth is built into the side of a mountain, and there are deep, deep cliffs and drop-offs all around it. How much so? Well, here is a view. This is a view from Nazareth, looking west toward, south and west toward the Jezreel Valley. And it was that valley there that you're seeing is an ancient battleground. Many, fight, many battles were fought there. Deborah and Barak's defeat of Sisera. Remember the story of Gideon and the Midianites that took place in that area? It's also the place where King Saul died. But it is also the gathering place where the world's armies will come together 
at the end of the age. You can't see it in that picture there, but if you're looking, if you were to look a little further to the right and a few more miles out, you would see a mountain there that's called Megiddo. And in Hebrew, that is Har Megiddo, the Mount of Megiddo. Har Megiddo, which you probably know better as Armageddon, right? And that is the valley. People think of the Battle of Armageddon, and they say, the battle isn't at Armageddon. The battle's in Jerusalem. But Armageddon, Armageddon is where the armies join together to move south onto Jerusalem at the end of the age. And what happens then when those armies get to Jerusalem? So it's not the battle of Armageddon. It's the battles from Armageddon. <laughs> Right? Well, the Lord Jesus will return at his second coming and destroy those armies. And I tell you that because I wonder what might it have been like for Jesus as a teenager? This would this he this would have been his view from his home of Nazareth, looking west and south. He's the Son of God. He knows all things. What might that have been like for Jesus as a teenager? or a young man, as he looked out on that view, knowing what would one day occur there thousands of years later when he would destroy the armies of the world aligned against him and against his people. I took this picture here from the Mount of Precipice, uh, which is associated with the rejection of Jesus when the people of Nazareth attempted to throw him off a cliff. You can see how my perspective changed a little bit on that. That's about a thousand foot drop off there. Now, I have to tell you, I wanted to go a little bit closer and get a really good picture of it right down there. And if I was by myself, who thinks I would have probably done that if I was by myself? Absolutely, I would have. You know, I would have gone right up to it and taken that picture, right? But you got other people in the group and they're all looking, be careful, be careful. So that's about as far as I dared go without having to hear the wrath of somebody, get back, you know, and that. So anyway, so just so you know, that's a sheer thousand foot drop. So keep that in mind when we read him here now from Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, 
you will surely say this proverb to me. He knew it was in their hearts, right? Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. They wanted to see him do thing, right? Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. At this point, we might be thinking, what? Why is he saying that? And then this rather curious response. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. What's happening here? Jesus is proclaiming to the people in his hometown that he is the Messiah in unmistakable terms. He had come to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. You know, it's interesting. I had never thought of this before until just this week in, in, in preparing for this here. You know, where it, talks, it speaks where, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. You know, that, that Jesus showed up to church every week. We didn't call it church then. It was uh, the synagogue, right? But as was his custom, he did this. And I was reading, this was a, uh, the Life Application Study Bible. It's a great study. There are a number of really good study Bibles out there. But the Life Application Study Bible, I like this note that it has on Luke 4.16, where it says, Jesus went to the synagogue as usual. Even though he was the perfect son of God and his local synagogue undoubtedly left much to be desired, Jesus attended services every week. His example makes our excuses for not attending church sound weak and self-serving. Make regular worship a part of your life. There's some food for thought, huh? Jesus is the Son of God. Do you think when he went to synagogue, he thought, you know, that rabbi there really could have done a much better sermon today? (laughs) Do you think he saw, you know, that guy over there, he's such a hypocrite. You know, this, can you believe how concerned they're focused on their budget instead of doing this or that? Can you imagine all the problems that he saw with his synagogue? And by the way, how would you like to be the rabbi or the leader of that synagogue <laughs> that Jesus is at every, every week? I always felt a little sorry for uh, uh, when I was in seminary at Trinity in Deerfield. I attended a church, North Suburban Evangelical Free Church, and the pastor there, a wonderful man named Marty Volz, did a, did a terrific job. But there were a number of Trinity professors who attended there, and I always kind of felt sorry. I just prayed for Marty every Sunday. It's like when he's going out there preaching to all these seminary professors, you know? Well, how would you like to be then the one who's preaching to the Son of God out there in the synagogue, right? 
But Jesus went. I know there is, a, and, and, and we are, if you, if you didn't already know this, we're living proof that there's no such thing as a perfect church, a perfect local church, right? But I'm very, I'm very proud of our church, not in a sinful way, okay? <laughs> I'm very proud of our church. I love this church. I love the people of our church. But you know what? We've got some issues here. We've got some personality conflicts. We've got this and that. Don't let that keep you from being where you belong. And okay, it's okay that you're watching at home right now today. We gave you permission today, all right, because of the parking lot fiasco. And that, Okay, we gave you permission today. But, and, and I know COVID too, and you know our policy and all that, and we get that, and we're not arguing about all that stuff. But I'm just talking about in relatively normal times, and the parking lot is not an ice skating rink, we need to be here, folks, don't we? We need to be here. And I know I'm not the perfect pastor. And I know the guy next to you is a hypocrite, okay? You need to be here. Jesus reads then from this passage, Isaiah 61. You know what? I was threatening for an hour and a half sermon, and I can see now I better, I better get moving here, all right? Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. It is a passage which applies to the Messiah. And it describes what Messiah would do. Interestingly enough, though, Jesus stopped reading about halfway through verse 2. And you might wonder about that. Here's what the verse says, but here's what else the verse says that Jesus didn't say. All right? He says, He has come to do this to proclaim liberty, sight, and he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and then he stopped there. Let's read the rest of it. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. He stopped after reading to proclaim the acceptable or the favorable year of God, God's favor. He didn't read God's vengeance. He stopped at favor. Why? Why not? Because that part of the verse, the vengeance of our God, refers to events that will take place at the second coming of Christ. Remember one of the things we've said before in biblical prophecy, there's a principle, it's called the telescoping principle of interpreting Bible prophecy, which is this idea that in the scriptures we see these events that we're kind of looking at them from afar, just like if you're looking at a mountain range and you see these mountain peaks and they look very close because you're viewing them from afar. But as you get closer and closer to it, you begin to say, ah, there's this great distance span between these peaks. And in the same way, there are events, Bible prophecy, where it all looks like it's all together there, And even within the space, and here's a great example of it, even within a single verse, you may have two events that they're right there. They look right next to each other, but they're separated by thousands of years. So why did Jesus stop? Because he hadn't come to bring vengeance. He'd come to proclaim good news. When he comes again, what will he do then? That is the vengeance of God, the end-time judgment. That's why he stopped. What is this good news? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, there is both a a literal and a figurative fulfillment of these verses. When Jesus came, there were miracles that he performed that he didn't just do these as like some kind of magic trick. He was sending a message about who he was. The miracles of Jesus, sometimes it, it came from a heart of compassion. It was simply an act of compassion. Sometimes, though, it was also, though, he, he, was, he was sending a message that he is the Messiah, a fulfillment of prophecy. But sometimes, though, it was pointing to, it was a literal event, physical event, which pointed to a spiritual truth as well. When he would open the, physically open the eyes of the blind to restore their sight, that was also symbolic of what his, how he has come to open the spiritually blind eyes of people to see the truth. What's the old hymn? I was blind, but now I see. Does that mean that John Newton, he was physically, literally physically blind, and now he's, no, he was talking, he was spiritually blind, but now he sees. So Jesus did these miracles, and he, he literally healed people, didn't he? He literally brought uh, freedom to people and sight to the blind, but he also, though, figuratively does this and spiritually does this as well, doesn't he? There is also then, too, a, a, a temporal or a, a now element and an eternal aspect of this as well. If you're a believer in Christ, you have been completely healed in Him. You are free, you are healed, and you see. But right now, only in part, the day is coming when you will experience in its fullness that you are free. You've been set free. You can see you have been healed in every way, including the body, the resurrected body, right? As he read those verses, everyone's attention was fixed on him. What would he say? about the great Messiah who was to come. Imagine their shock then when he came right out and announced that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. He was the Messiah. Wait, what? You? But but we know you. You're one of you're from Nazareth. You're you're the son of Joseph the carpenter. What do you mean you're the Messiah? I think this shows the humility of Jesus, that he's the son of God who grew up in their midst, and yet they never thought, oh yeah, there's the Messiah. Why? Because he just seemed like an ordinary, average person like one of them. Now, he never sinned, right? But he certainly didn't come across as God in the flesh to them. You wait a minute. You're the Messiah. Now that gets their attention, but that's not what made him angry. What made him angry? Well, you see, Jesus knew that they didn't believe, and Jesus said something then to them which would enrage them so much they tried to kill him. And we might read it and say, "Wow, why such rage?" Jesus is talking about 
Elijah and how he went to this woman of Sidon. There were many people, there was famine throughout the land, but Elijah didn't speak to the Israelites. He went to this Gentile woman. And during the time of Elisha the prophet, there were many lepers among the Israelites, but Elisha didn't go to them. He went to this Gentile, Naaman the Syrian. What's the message? You see, Jesus was referencing a time in Israel's history when God's people did not believe. So instead, God sent his prophets to minister to Gentiles instead of the Israelites. In other words, what? Just like the people in those days didn't believe, neither do you. You're just like them. And, just be, and, and as you reject me, guess what? I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad Jesus went to the Gentiles too? Right? You see why they're mad? He's saying, you guys are just a bunch of unbelievers, rejectors, just like your forefathers. That's why they got so angry with him. And to prove the point that Jesus is right about it, what did they do? They said, oh, wait, 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 Jesus, you got it all wrong. No, 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 we believe. No, what did they do? They were filled with rage, murderous rage. Wanted to throw him over the... Do you see now that cliff? Like I, I'm picturing as a kid like a 10-foot cliff or something like I had around my house. No. You fall a thousand feet over that, that's going to leave a mark, isn't it? That's why they wanted to kill him. But it says, and Jesus walked among them and went on his way, which I think is my like, what was it? It was a miracle. I don't know exactly how it happened or what it looked like, but I think it was Jesus was saying, oh, no, and figuratively, oh, no, you don't. I'll just be on my way now. This is not how this works. This is not the time. He is going to die. He is going to give his life. But not this way, this time, this, this how. So what he's doing, he's just like, you know what? I'll be on my way now. I've got other things to do first. It's not going to happen this way. So what? Jesus brings healing, liberty, and sight to all who repent and believe the gospel. So quickly I would say then, Get off the fence, teetering between belief and unbelief. That's what we see in the example of of some in Galilee there, right? There was a faith of a kind, of a sort, but it wasn't a true faith which had encountered the living God that had repented and turned in faith to him. Get off the fence, teetering between belief and unbelief. Do you believe or don't you? Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from sin and self, and turn toward Christ. But here's something for all of us then. Walk. Walk in Christ's healing, Christ's freedom, Christ's truth. Do you need to be healed of something here today? Maybe it is a physical ailment. There's nothing wrong with praying for those things. We do it all the time, don't we? But there's other kinds of healing that we need, don't we? Emotional healing, relational healing, a spiritual healing. The sun is risen with healing in his wings. Freedom. We're not literal captives 
in a jail cell, although there are people who are, <laughs> right? Freedom from captivity to sin and the consequences of sin. We can walk in freedom from that. And then truth. There's an awful lot of darkness around us in this world, isn't there? A lot of lies, a lot of misinformation. If you want to see a lot of lies and misinformation, turn on any cable news channel, all right? (laughs) But that's not the kind of truth, though, that I'm talking. I'm not talking about the truth of events in this world, although it impacts it. I'm talking about the spiritual truth of who we are, what our problem is, what God has done about it, and the hope that we can have in Christ. Walking in the light, walking in the truth, because he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, isn't he? Okay, that was only about 10 minutes longer than usual, so that's not too bad there with that. So, Some food for thought there today, folks. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I would pray you know, for that, that maybe there's someone listening right now that's kind of teetering on that fence here, that that person that would just would, would turn away, repent, and put full-hearted, full-throated faith and confidence in you, Lord, to accept you for who you are and for what you've done. But then, Lord, for all of us then, that we would walk and thank you, Lord, for our liberty, for our sight, for the healing that you have given us in Christ. Lord, we experience it in part. Thank you the day is coming when we will experience it in its fullness. Until then, Lord, may we walk in faith. May we trust you wholeheartedly. May we proclaim this good news. May we make a difference and be salt and light in our world as we look forward eagerly, Lord, to that culmination of our hope. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.